This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Do you know what time it is? Oh, yes. It's time for another episode of A Sunday Kind of Love. I'm Maya Tan. My partner Tasha Fusil is as always with me on this show and this is the comeback episode. There are a few popular shows, concerts and events coming back this week to give us joy. On Couch Potatoes, we run through the biggest shows returning to the screen this fall season and for a happy ending, Tasha experiments with hacks for you to bring about new users and the comeback of the Mason Jar. But first... Have you ever been in a situation where someone takes a verbal swipe at you and you don't have a witty comeback for it till much, much later? You know what I'm talking about. You know when somebody says something nasty to your face and you don't have a comeback so you go all red and you bear it in silence. Maybe you laugh it off so you don't have to go through an unpleasant confrontation or worse, don't even realise someone's taken a jab at you till much, much later. This always happens to me, right? Because you see... I have this relative, and you know, as far as relatives go in the Hokkien side of my family, they're just not the best bunch of people you want to hang out with. From here to eternity. Now this Hokkien family on my mother's side, they're the likely cause of things like depression, low self-esteem, suicides, the haze, and maybe even the tsunami in Phuket. You think I'm exaggerating, but I really think my Hokkien family could win the Nobel Prize for Nasty, the Pulitzer Prize for Gyasu, and the Man Booker Prize for writing the best insults. And they have happily bred generation upon generation of the best small-minded, petty, nasty, pedigree bullies in Malaysia and beyond. One of my cousins is in Chicago. Be careful, Chicago. You've been warned. Now, most Chinese families aren't big on PDA. You know, you don't get hugs very often unless you're very little. And even then, you're certainly not immune to the barrage of criticism that comes your way when the spotlight at the dinner table is suddenly shining on you. Yeah, your eyes so sepet, your face so round, your nose so big. Lucky you're cute. Uh. If not, uh, nobody will want to marry you uh, next time. Uh. <laughs> I've always wanted to say, Hello, have you looked in the mirror lately? We're related. I look just like you. But of course, I say nothing. Another thing is, I don't know why, but it's just not done to praise your child in the presence of company. And if you say something like, He's quite clever lah, this fella. He got five A's in his UPSR exams. You always have to balance it with, Yeah, but look at his ears. <laughs> They're getting bigger and bigger. We must have found him in the elephant pen at the zoo. <laughs> Okay, so maybe this only happens in my Hokkien family. Other families around the world meet and laugh and hug and exchange gifts. We meet in Chinese restaurants, eat six courses in 49 minutes, exchange unpleasantries and are then hustled off home by the cousin who pays for the dinner, who has, I don't know, better things to do or maybe even he just can't stand the conversations. Either way, there's not a lot of touchy-feely love lost there. There's also a hierarchy. You know, the older you are, the more people you can insult. So you can imagine now why I say the family breeds bullies because you take it for years and years and years and then you give it as good as you got it. And so there's this one cousin who's constantly on my case. Let's call her Auntie M. Auntie M is constantly judging, constantly finding new ways to chip at any confidence I may have built up. 
Every time we meet, it would be my dress or my weight or my skin or my job or my children. But because she's the wife of the cousin who pays, nobody says anything. At least, not to her face. As a teenager, I would fume in silence with all sorts of comebacks running through my head. I would dread the dinners, plot possible comebacks but never use them, and the rage would just stack up like a big pile of garbage next to a Jangan Buang Sampah sign. I'll give you an example. Back in the 90s, my best friend and I, we were avid fashion followers, so we fashioned our own handbags made from tying paisley bandanas together. You know, it was kind of a Guns N' Roses kind of phase, so paisley bandanas were all the rage. So we made these handbags out of tying these paisley bandanas together. I used that bag everywhere I went, I loved it, and unfortunately, I brought it to one of these dinners. And I got some curious questions, but from Auntie M, the comment that came in was, Hiya, she just wants to show us that she got no money to buy a handbag law, hinting for us to give her money ma. And I thought, well honey, if you did give me some money, I'd buy you a new handbag because have you seen that thing you're carrying? I mean, you can afford Prada and you buy that one? Err. But of course, I said nothing. Years go by and I say nothing. But I drew the line at one of the dinners when my daughters, now almost past the cute kindergarten age, became new victims. Your nose too big for your face lah. Someone now you wear specs. Yeah, Your sister's nose is also round but it suits her face. You are just all over the place lah. And I thought, that's it. No more dinners. Do you know how much internal work I've had to do building up my self-esteem again from scratch, trying to understand that I bring value to this world? I mean, if I was in any other Western country, I'd already be in therapy. And I certainly don't want my kids going through all that. So no more. I told my mom, I've had it. You're on your own. You go to these dinners. Time passes and after about two years, a personal invitation comes in the form of a text message. The cousin who pays was celebrating his 60th birthday. And I thought, okay, family is family at the end of the day and he has sure paid for a lot of dinners. And I thought, let's grow up a little, you know, let's be the adult here. So I relented, but I had a strategy. I would turn up extra early so I would have a seating advantage and I would seat myself and my girls as far away from Auntie M's firing range as possible. And just in case, I had a few comebacks stored away in my brain. And so we went and the plan worked. Auntie M, whose butt size had troubled in the time I didn't see her, was just too far away on the long rectangular table to fire insults at me or my girls. All is well. But at the end of the dinner, she yells, Ah, don't go yet, ah. I bought you and your girls some chocolate from Paris. Let me get it from the car, dear. And I thought, wow, maybe my absence sent a message. Maybe she's seen the light. Maybe when I decided to be an adult, something in the universe switched gears and she's changed. People can change after all. People change. So I walk up to her and say thank you for the chocolates. But as my hand touches the box, she says, Only for your girls, (laughs) not for you, you're so fat now. I look at her triple XL butt 
and just on the tip of my tongue was the comeback that I had planned for her. It was just right there on the tip of my tongue. I was going to open my mouth and say it. But then I looked in her eyes and I saw a quick flicker of doubt, some underlying sadness and even a little bit of fondness. And that's when it hit me. All these years, I'd been listening to the words, but I hadn't been listening to what was being said. Maybe hurling insults was the only way my family knew how to love. We were all probably these broken-down, insecure beings who've just dealt with negative comments all our lives. Maybe this was the only way my family knew how to love. So I took the box of chocolates, said thank you, and then I gave her a big, warm, squishy hug. And she hugged me back. Up next, Tasha Fusil and I go through some of the best events returning to give us joy this month. So Tasha, what have you got for us this week? Well, first up, we have Teta Asrama Ra. After the play's successful run last year, Teta Asrama Ra is back with an all-stars edition, with not just a new celebrity cast, but with an even bigger stage. So the play focuses on boarding school life and the strange things that happen as two teachers try to get the situation under control. It's produced by Magic Revolution, and the script was written to reflect the current situation and issues that are faced by all Malaysians of different backgrounds. It's performed in Bahasa Melayu, and it stars Tuan Faisal, Sharifah Amani, Sherry Al-Haddad, and Finn Jamal. Cool. Tuan Faisal and Sherry Al Haddad are actually from Project Disco Baldi. Oh, cool. And of course, Sherry Amani is the film star that we all know. <laughs> and love from Sipit. Mm-hmm. Mira Sivasudi recently had Nick Muhammad Afik Nick Lukman. He's the producer for Asrama Ra and Sherry Amani as guests on the front row. Here, Sharifa explains a little bit about what Theatre Asrama Ra is about. It's about uh, a bunch of schoolgirls, uh, high achievers, uh, you know, uh, especially in our school system where we're supposed to, you know, get it right, get it right, score the A's, score the A's, but it's not about what you learn at all. It's about getting there and being this perfect person, which actually no one's ever perfect, and uh, in this dorm room, and it just, it's like Groundhog Day. So a certain dream happens, reoccurs over and over again. And through the stories and through the uh, dreams, uh, people's secrets are revealed. So people's true colours come out. And it's beautiful. And it's you know things that you never would have thought um, Malay Theatre would even talk about. I hear it's directed by Kairunas Wanrotsi, who's also someone that I've worked with before. Mm. Previously, yes, under the umbrella of Ruma Anak Theatre. Ah, okay. So this is supposed to be based on a workshop, right? The script was written for a workshop that was then these celebrities came, attended the workshop, liked it and insisted on turning it into a production starring themselves. Wow! <laughs> yeah, which is quite cool. It's been running from the 16th of October and you can catch the last show tonight, actually, at 8.30pm at Kale Pack. Uh, tickets are priced at 50 ringgit and you can get them at www.ticketpro.com.my.
Next, Pasal and Mota Smashing Weekend is back. It's another comeback with another weekend of good food and even better music. The brand that's famous for infusing local flavours into the catchphrases and designs of their t-shirts and apparel always know how to throw a good party. And the warehouse shindig that's coming up is no exception. Have you been to one of these? No, I haven't, but I'm actually going to be attending this one because they're going to be uh, food trucks and I can't say no to food trucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's also going to be a whole host of musical acts to provide the entertainment. You've got local rock bands like the marquee and reach for the skies Kyoto Protocol will be there Woo-hoo! and they'll be playing new tracks from their upcoming album Catch These Men Froya will also be there to perform her blend of folksy eclectic pop tunes oh and food yes, yes as you mentioned <laughs> yes some of the city's best food trucks will be there to serve up the food for the party it's going to be like a mini international food fest there'll be tacos and churros from curbside cantina pastas and confit from the little fat duck and 7 inches of awesome empanadas from crazy puff and you can't have a food truck party without having a bit of classic local loving from Fat One Steamboat. <laughs> and to wash all that down, uh, Red Bull and Heineken will be providing a free flow of drinks. This is happening today and admission is totally free, so all you need to do is show up at 4pm at Jalan Ryong in Bangsa. Woohoo, see you there. And that's actually not the only mini music festival that's happening today. It's the final day of the Kuala Lumpur Eco Film Festival and they're ending it on a musical note. Uh, because music has always been an important component of the KLEFF and over the years they've worked with some fantastic local talents. This year is no different and the KLEFF will be introducing some of the most talented musicians at the Green Vibes Music Showcase. There's going to be an eclectic array of musical performances on offer. Jess Ibrahim is a singer-songwriter whose compositions often have an environmental theme. Then there's Pastel Light, a duo that does experimental electronic music. Froya is a busy lady because she'll be at both wow. the Pasta and Water event as well as the Green Vibes Music Showcase. The wonderful one-woman act, the Venopian Solitude, will be there. Um, I don't know whether you've listened to her music, but she's known for including like, quirky sounds in her songs using unconventional instruments, everyday sounds like the rustling of paper or the hollow clang of metal boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Even Project Disco Baldi will be there to play their repertoire of original comedy music. The performances will be happening from 3 to 9pm at the B Publica and you can visit ecofilmfest.my for a full listing of the acts. And the buzz of the week would have to be Mariah Carey's The Elusive Chanteuse Show Tour. The concert will be kicking off on the 22nd of October at 8pm at Stadium Medeca. After 10 years, Mariah has come back to our shores. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, she hardly needs any introduction. She's the best-selling female artist of all time with more than 250 million albums sold to date and 18 Billboard number 1 singles, 17 of which she wrote herself and all of which I have memorised. (laughs) Shall you sing a few bars? for us I still <laughs> believe <laughs> she's won a truckload of awards yep. and she just released her 14th studio album Me I Am Mariah The Elusive Chanteuse she's so caught up though in all these pretty imagery of who or what she is I wish she would just come out and be real like strip back you know? and raw yeah instead of you know butterflies and whatever circus shows she's got going in her head uh, you can't argue that she has this amazing voice and I do like the music from the new album actually key singles such as Beautiful featuring Miguel Make It Look Good and Camouflage tickets range from 120 ringgit to 680 ringgit depending on how close you want to be to Miss <laughs> Mariah MC and you can get them online at www.ticketcharge.com.my I still believe someday you and me
we'll find ourselves in love again. <laughs> Next up on a Sunday kind of love, we've been waiting for some upstairs, downstairs action for a while now, and that's exactly what we're going to do on Couch Potatoes. We've also got some gripping courtroom battles interspersed with steamy love scenes and the girl who made Whoopi with the president. Don't go away. The Sunday Kind of Love returns soon on BFM 89.9. This is the Sunday Kind of Love. Welcome back to the comeback episode. I'm Maya Tan and our resident couch potato Edwin Suman and I are going to go through some of the biggest TV shows to return this fall season. Some amazing TV is coming back from uh, disappearing into obscurity and becoming cult favourites. We'll talk about one of those shows. We'll also do our favourite shows like Downton Abbey. That's the first on it's my list. back, yes. And as of today... Fifth ep- season. Yes, the fifth season. And uh, since today is Sunday, tomorrow will be the fifth episode. And usually they only do like an eight-episode season. So we're already more yes, than halfway we're through. more than halfway through. And we warn you now there will be spoilers to be had. So avert your ears uh, momentarily. Avert your ears. Yes. Like, just don't listen to this show. <laughs> so at the end of season four, after the menage debacle with Mr. Green, Anna and Mr. Bates, we're all left wondering whether he did the deed. Uh, Mary is still to decide on her two new suitors, like who ah, she's going to marry. But if you've already, f- if you're following the wait, season wait, wait, wait. five... Oh yes, very exciting. Edith's had her baby and placed her with Mr. Drew's family who's actually quite hot. Yes, he's, he's the, you know, the everyday worker, labour man. Family man. Farming and yes. manly. Stiff upper lip, but, you know, mm. got heart of gold. Um, and Tom is now a gentleman eligible for marriage and has a close call in the form of a slutty maid. And uh, Lord Merton is courting Isabel Crawley. So that's where we left off in season four. Yes, and season five brings back all these stories and expands yes. them a little bit and gets a bit more exciting because not only does Mary have to deal with Lord Gillingham and, of course, the other cute one, Julian Ovenden. Charles Blake. Charles Blake. But their mother... Yes. This is spoiler alert. Beep, 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 beep. Yes. In the form of Richard E. Grant. Mr. Brick. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, I love art how the, critic. I love how that storyline is working out yes, right now. Very, very scintillating. And so much has happened already. And this season we see the mystery of Mr. Green's death continue with investigations ongoing. Do you think he did it? Well, I'm kind of over that story already. I, know. I, know, I mean, I love Mr. and Mrs. Bates, but their story just plays out and it's so drawn out and it's so... There's a meme with a picture of Mr. Bates sitting down and he's going, I'm waiting for Julian Fellows to write me more lines. Yeah, I hope so, because this same story just goes on. There, theirs is that subplot which I can do without. Mm. in Downton Abbey because there's so many other exciting things happening in, the, yes. in, this, in it. Such as Mary being confused about Mr. Gillingham, Lord Gillingham after a very surprising and liberating dirty weekend. Yes, you hmm, fabulous. And then because, again, spoiler alert, because uh, she, she has this dirty weekend 
so that she can decide properly, is this the man I want to spend the rest of my life with? Because, you know, we can sit there and be proper and polite. But if sex doesn't work and we have nothing else in common, then how am I going to marry him? So she has this dirty weekend thinking, yes, after that, of course, you know, endorphins, ah, happy, happy, love, love. And then in another episode, she goes, I don't think I'm, I don't think... I love him the way I thought I would. Mm-hmm. And she she's actually, not sure. She's again. not sure. And she actually goes and tells him one day, I, you know, I don't think I can marry you. And then you see a different side of Lord Gillingham. Ooh. Yes, I, will, I won't tell you what side you see, but it's you're suddenly like, oh, okay. Yes, and of course, it doesn't help that Charles Blake has some new arm candy. Yes, who happens to be Lord Gillingham's ex fiance <laughs> But they don't, that one doesn't play because, you know, Mr. Blake turns up finally in the middle of the season. You he, don't hear of him, you don't see of him. And he turns up when she had already decided Gillingham is not the right one. And so you think, oh, maybe they're going to play out that story. But really, the story that, that's been tickling me is the art critic and, Lady you know, Grantham. mistress of the house, Lady Grantham, yes. because she, she deserves a story. She does, actually. You know, in the four seasons so far, she's just played the good woman, the mother, the friend, but now she gets a little bit of... And she she's still a lady. She doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. you know, but Lord Grantham gets a bit jealous, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is nice to see. And it was interesting because the first time Mr. Bricker came over for dinner, he was already jealous about Isis, the dog. The dog. Can you <laughs> because believe it? Isis was like having a moment with Mr. Bricker. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. There's some really nice stories playing out. It's not so, at the moment, not so not so melodramatic, not so heightened drama. It's very, this time around, they're, they're playing the stories out rather yeah. than creating these unnecessary dramas. Even with, with Isabel and her love story, last week's episode was oh, just yes. so romantic. The language that they used. A prince, a Russian prince, an ex-beau. Oh, How my lovely. God, it was beautiful. And it all starts with her being kind of, perhaps jealous of, of Lord Merton, you know, wanting to court Isabel. And she's like teasing Isabel relentlessly. And then next thing you know, you know, things turn around for her as well. Yeah, but I think this is all, they're also preempting the rise of the Nazi regime because they started mentioning it already. In it's nineteen twenty four, roughly. Yeah, yes. so they're also kind of linking it to Edith because of you know Michael who disappeared. Disappears in Germany. In Germany and then they, yes. Something's happening. Something's a brewing. Yes, poor Edith. You know she's having major problems. She's given birth to a child and placed it with a family, and now the family are. Then she gatal. Every day she wants to go and see this child. Every day. But only the lovely farmer knows the secret. His wife That's doesn't true. know. And his wife is thinking, what the hell is going on? Is my husband having an affair with this woman? And she's pretending to be nice to this child that they've, uh, they've adopted. Mm. She's oh, now yeah. the godmother. It's also she, annoying me, this storyline. It is. I, I would just you know like to see her have the gumption to say, That's this is my, my child. child. Yes, yes, I had a fling. I'm so sorry, but I yes. want my child back. Because the entire family has accepted the fact that she and, and Mr. Publisher, who's disappeared in, in Germany, they, they were an item. You know, so if that's the case, and already the father was so so caring and so thoughtful about, you know, don't worry, my dear, we'll find out what happened to him. I mean, let's just go back to episode one of season one with Mary and her <laughs> lover. Mary and Mr. Pamuk. Mr. Pamuk. Oh, Mr. Pamuk, Theo James. Hello, <laughs> Theo James. You can divergent on me anytime. <laughs> and then there's, of course, the Tom storyline. He's 
got a new activist girlfriend. He's who's just, just cute. Rubbing the family the wrong way. Well, not quite girlfriend yet. Uh, not yet. Um, but watching the what happens and in, in tomorrow's episode, there was that with tail end. Um, they have some heated conversation, and he actually turns to her and says, "I don't care if you hate them, but you must remember my daughter is one of them." Right. And then it just ends there. I mean, that's going to be in this episode, this coming episode. So we're not sure whether they're going to be an item. I rather they're not because I have this strange feeling that him and Mary should get married. Wow. Yes. There was a part where in episode uh, three where he said, "Well, if you love me, you will support me," and she says, "All right then." No, there's something quite beautiful. And it's not dirty. It's not, you know, there's just something, if they were to get together, I'd be quite happy. Still, you know, to marry your Your sister-in-law? Yeah. If your sister-in-law herself can't decide and is busy having dirty, filthy weekends <laughs> with two, re- with one really hot Tom Cullen and then nothing's going on with Julian Ovenden. Oh. But what do you think will happen for the rest of the season? I don't know. I don't want to say. but Something's oh. brewing with Barrow. Yes, Barrow, before the season began, there was all this talk about Barrow questioning his sexuality mm. uh, and also trying to cure himself. And after watching last week's episode, and he's, he's trying to self-medicate himself, so, but they don't say why. Mm-hmm. And his excuse was he had to leave because his father was ill. Mm, but his wa- father wasn't ill. But his father wasn't ill. So we don't know whether, you know, the rumours of, of what his plot line would be is really that. Or mm. maybe he became a drug addict. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or maybe he's like ill. Ill, ill. Or maybe he's ill, ill. Yeah. You know? And earlier in the season, there was all that business with Baxter. Poor Baxter. Well, Baxter Baxter's the one that found that magazine that that Barrows dropped and he kind of, you know, scolded her for it. And in the mag- she turned to a page that says, you can kill yourself, you can change or something like this. So I'm thinking, yes, maybe he is questioning his, his sexuality because he's never been happy ever since the very first season with, you know, Charlie Cox. Uh, and then he fell in love with Ed Spielers in last season. Mm-hmm. And, but no one's ever returned that love. So his is a hard, hard character to, to play and I think... Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Three more episodes to go before they do the Christmas. Oh, I love the Christmas I specials. Love. Downton Abbey, I hate you, I love you, I live for you. <laughs> yes, it's that language. You don't, you don't hear language like that on television. I know, and some of the know. best lines are had by the Dowager's, of Dowager course. Countess. You know, but it's something as simple as, you know, I know you, 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 please don't reject, please do not reject my offer of marriage. Please promise me that you will think about it. And then she goes, Isabel goes, what you've said has... has, I don't know what she said. She goes, yes, but I will promise you, I will think about it. And the, the, whole, the whole subtext of it is like, yes, you made me think and I'll be thinking about this every day and night. And you see so the way romantic. the two of them... It's so romantic. And you can see it in their performances, you know, that they've just made each other think of each these two old people falling in love. It's so Lord romantic. Merton's quite Lord the dish. Lord Merton's a dishy dish <laughs> old man. Sugar daddy, silver fox. <laughs> oh. 
Absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, the Good Wife is also back. This is another series with extremely good writing and if you like courtroom dramas, there are some cool cases there yes. with very current issues such as Bitcoin, for example. And of course, at the heart of it was the big romance between Will Gardner and Alicia Florrick. But now that the actor Josh Charles has chosen to leave, there ain't no more romantic lead. No, they'll do something with this season. I mean, okay, this show started out many seasons ago as just another one of those jilted wife wants to do something with herself kind of TV shows. And I wasn't very interested. I thought, yeah, yeah, this can only go so far. Mm. What can they do? But, but she then, is a good lawyer. She's a but thinking woman. she's a good woman. lawyer. She's a thinking woman. And you go, ah, so this is going to be a legal drama. Mm-hmm. This is not just going to be woman who finds something to do with herself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are one of those sleeper hit type shows, you know, you you because they don't have big name cast in it. They have, of course, the lead, yes. She's just amazing. Yeah, Juliana Margulies. But you don't see her very much and a lot of us are very unfamiliar with her. Apart from ER, of Apart course. Apart from ER. But you know, you can never underestimate what that woman chooses to do. She's amazing. She's an amazing actor. Yes, that's a... And then, and then they brought in Finn Palmer, played by Matthew Good, which I thought was, you know, a new romantic possibility. But now in season six, they're all just like fighting. Yeah. Um, what did you love most about it, though? I mean, I remember it was you who introduced it to me. Yeah, but you know, this is the best part. I haven't watched it since season three. Ah, okay. <laughs> There's yeah, been yeah. so much other things have taken my attention. Um, but I want to get back to it eventually. Sure. What I love about it is, yeah, it's a, it's a thinking woman's show, unlike Shonda Rhimes' Scandal, but more about that later. Uh, yeah, I can uh, do without Scandal I already. know. What's new in this season for The Good Wife is that Alicia is presented with the option to run for state's attorney. Yes. Diane Lockhart leaves Lockhart Garden and joins Floric Argos. Uh, Carrie Argos is arrested, charged with helping to traffic 1.3 million worth of heroin, but really, they just want to land Bishop, the drug dealer who is their client. Uh, Eli, played by the lovely Alan Cumming, just keeps scheming to get Alicia to run for office. Carrie gets out of jail and continues his intense relationship mm. with Kalinda. There are some very, very steamy scenes yeah, there. with a name like Kalinda. And uh, in the season, Tay Dix joins Floric Argos with Diane. Ah, so he's character. found a show to get to. Yes, poor, poor Tay Dix. <laughs> After private practice, at least Kate Walsh found a new comedy to, to headline. Oh, what's that one called? Uh, was it called Bad Habits? She's a, she plays a judge who just gets into all kinds of nonsense trouble. It's okay. a comedy. Uh, it's nice to see her in a comedy, but they're only, I think, two episodes in already. This is a new show. Critics have not been kind to it. Um, I think also they're just not used to seeing Kate Walsh play comedy. Mm. You know, she plays a judge that turns up drunk for a <laughs> hearing. You know, it's a, she's that strange kind of character that... I, 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 I watched the first episode. I didn't laugh my head off. But I thought, okay, if the writers are clever, this is possibly a show to follow. But nothing yet has said, must watch. Mm, okay. Well, next, the next show that has come back is, of course, Scandal. And I can't say I'm enthused about anything no, that's no, coming no, out no, of this no, no. one. I got sucked in season one, but I couldn't get through season two. Uh, for the uninitiated, it's Scandal is written by Grey Anatomy's Shonda Rhimes. And they call it a political thriller. But let me just say this. Uh, it's it's too, no. much, too much all this nonsense, love triangle, yes. the drama. It's, it's nothing no political. house of cards. It's not. Just because she was one the president's girlfriend doesn't make it political. It's just Seattle Grace, but in the White House. Yes. Right, so Scandal revolves around Olivia Pope, played by Kerry Washington, and she's a PR slash fixer-upper kind of person. And the romantic lead is, of course, Tony Goldwyn, who is, you know, from MGM Heritage, uh, and also a great actor. 
there's a fair amount of politicking and covert maneuvers and espionage and then there are just these scenes that just make you want to slap them you all. You want to vomit. And there was this one scene with the president which just spoiled it for me forever. They were making out in some top secret bunker and there's a conversation before that about how he as president you know represents america and he is the superpower and then he starts to go down on her and she says what are you doing and he says i'm using my superpowers bam i just lost all respect for this <laughs> weak emotionally manipulative president and this woman who just can't help herself and all the talking too fast talking too fast talking too fast like they're all on speed no she looks like she should be in brooklyn somewhere selling someone's hair weave and you know shaking her head and doing no girl oh i can't deal with that show and shonda rams has now got a new show ah. Uh, what's it called? How many ways? How how many ways to murder someone? Or, or something about murder? And and it's another show. It's hers, and people are watching it because the first episode is very promising. I don't know what terrible things you've done in your life up to this point, but clearly your comments out of balance to get assigned to my class. I'm Professor Annalise Keating, and this is Criminal Law 100, or as I prefer to call it. How to get away with murder. Here we go. Big Bang Theory is back. Mm-hmm. And, Ninth uh, season, I think. Eighth season, and they've written some really funny... F- there are four episodes, five episodes now, some really funny episodes. Yes. Because season seven started a bit a bit sloppy and wet. It wasn't funny, funny, but I this one... I think they is, lost me at season seven. Oh, but this... But it, season 7 ended with such a cliffhanger. It really brings you back to season 8. And season 8, the dynamics start to change. And it really there's really some funny moments in this. So season 8 is... I'm watching it. it it's brilliant. Okay. And then uh, you were going to introduce us to Psycho Bitches. Yes, there's this British... Uh, situation comedy sitcom it's not really a sitcom because it's more like a series of sketches and it's not even a series of sketches because there is one anchor character and she's the psychiatrist Mm. in modern day London Uh, and all her patients happen to be women from history (laughs) Cleopatra comes to talk to her about you know she says you know I want the psychiatrist goes, so have you had any uh, new feelings since we last spoke? And Cleopatra said, yeah, you know, I want to talk about my brother, you know, the pharaoh. And then she talks about having an incestuous relationship with him. And the psychiatrist goes, do you not think that something's wrong with that? But we like all the same things. We have so much in common. He likes pyramids. I like pyramids. We have the same parents. (laughs) And then she goes, but that's how the society expects us to do it, like Uncle Mop and Papa Dop. And who are they? You know, Auntie, uh, Uncle Daddy and Auntie Mommy. <laughs> and, and, and all these characters are played by some of the best comedians in the United yeah. Kingdom. And one of them is, a, he, he, he plays Diana, but you don't mention it. He's dressed like Diana in her beautiful powder blue suit. He walks in the door, and of course, psychiatrist is not ready to see yet. And then he just turns into it, too soon? <gasps> and then the psychiatrist looks at her and says, and nods the head, and then Diana just walks out. Wow. So they don't even do a scene with wow. Diana. You that know? is brilliant writing. It's brilliant. So subtle. Too soon, and then she just walks out. Still it's, too soon, it's, huh? It's brilliant. And they're bringing it back for season two okay. this year, hopefully in November. They say November. Um, and they're yeah. going to extend the cast and bring in a... The same cast will be there, but they're going to, to, to bring in one or two special appearances. It's brilliant. It really is quite brilliant. Catherine Tate came on as Edith Piaf. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> that was brilliant. Right, so Psycho Bitches is on Sky Arts 1 in the UK. Uh, you can catch some of these snippets on YouTube. So it's a series of sketches uh, with an impassive therapist listening to a group of historical female characters recounting their problems. And amongst others, they've had Jane Austen craving sex, Beatrix Potter, who believes that animals can talk to her, yes. Edith Piaf, as you mentioned, contrary to her song, has a whole string of regrets, whilst Eva Brown is worried about the new man in her life, and Joan of Arc is a stroppy teenager. Yes, Joan of Arc is hilarious. Even, even Mary comes in with Jesus. Yes, 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 I remember <laughs> but that. But he just sits there. Mary's the one that's doing all this complaining my son has no time for me <laughs> and he's just this quiet timid Jesus just sitting there listening to his mother and she goes now he's so popular he has no time for me <laughs> they're I good wish there was more TV like this it's, it's, it's silly it's witty it's clever it's contemporary it's got oh the Bronte sisters is hilarious they get the three actors to just put their heads through puppets and their bodies are very yes, tiny right is, I remember that oh, one oh it's hilarious Yes, yeah, so catch Psycho Bitches if you can. And you wanted to tell us about the comeback. Ah. All, all I know is it stars Lisa Kudrow. The comeback was um, was uh, a show from many, many years ago. I think nearly seven, ten years ago. And it was Lisa Kudrow's show after she had left Friends. And it was supposed to be like a spoof, a piss-take satire on reality TV. She was a you know, B-list actress on some daytime soap opera who who wants to, who thinks she's a big star and, and she gets this this show to do but she comes back and she does this show with a bunch of teenagers where she's playing like the disgruntled Mr. Roper character. <laughs> At the same time, they also sign her up to do this, you know, roving Big Brother type of reality TV show that's linked to this new show that she's doing. So you're following her and it, it's, it's, it's quite grating, it's quite real because the comedy is situational. It's not funny ha-ha comedy, but it's how she thinks she's such a big star and how she tries to teach like this younger actress who's Marlene Ackerman and she's like, oh, you know, baby girl, baby girl, you have to do this, you have to do that, but everything just fails for her. <laughs> when And then she doesn't realise that the reality TV crew that's following her is actually filming her and making her out to be this witch, bitch, stupid character oh. but somehow or other by the end of that show after about 13 episodes when they release both these TV shows out to the public it's her show that makes it not the show with the teenagers and then she goes oh I knew this all along but she didn't because she, she was so angry and wanted to axe the show but then the, the TV station just cancelled the show despite the nominations for the Emmys and the Golden Globes they axed it because ratings were just not very good that's a pity. And it's a great show because Lisa Kudrow is such an underrated actress. Yes, she has something. And they're bringing it back for a seven-episode special this year. Fab! Just seven. Just when seven. is it launching? Also November. Okay. Oh my God, it's November. It's like Thanksgiving. Comeback <laughs> yes. uh, Mad Men, Newsroom, Game of Thrones are also making comebacks. So watch the space and we'll tell you more about it. Tasha Fusil is up next and I know she's got some wondrous hacks up her sleeve for you which will make you go, now why didn't I think of that? Before we get there, this is Coming of Age by Foster the People. I'm Maya Tan on a Sunday Kind of Love, BFM 89.9.
Episode. I'm Maya Tan, and now here's Touch of Fusil with some hacks to make you go ooh. Who doesn't love mason jars? They're inexpensive, sturdy, and are completely non-toxic and safe to use. For those who aren't familiar with mason jars, they're glass jars used back in the day to can and preserve food. And they were first invented in 1858 by a Philadelphian tinsmith named John Landis Mason. They look like ordinary glass jars, but what makes a mason jar different are the specialized lids which create hermetic seals to the jar. Thanks to the internet and everyone's love for retro decorative appeal, the mason jar has achieved cult status. They've appeared on every single DIY crafting blog, every bride has mason jars on their decorating wish list, and they've become the ultimate symbol for hipsterism. You can't truly consider yourself a hipster until you've sipped a beverage from a mason jar. For more than 130 years, Ball Mason Jars have been the leading manufacturers in the mason jar industry, and their most successful year of sales to date, 2013. So that says a lot about the return and escalation of this nostalgic frenzy. There are even mason jar enthusiasts, mainly in the States, who would pay top dollar for rare antique mason jars. And while it's almost impossible to find bona fide mason jars in Malaysia, most fans are happy to settle with any old glass jar that's similar in resemblance. You can in fact find replicas of the American mason jars in places like cold storage. They go for about 5 ringgit a bottle. But for the sake of frugality, you don't have to buy them. There are tons of things we buy at the supermarket that comes in glass jars. Pasta sauces, jams, pickles, olives, mustard. So start building your collection. To celebrate the comeback of the mason jar, here are a list of just some of the many ways we can repurpose the mason jar. I've divided them into three categories according to how they can be best utilized. The first category is food. You can use them to make layered desserts. I'm sure frequent cafe goers and dessert lovers have seen an abundance of single-sized portion desserts being sold in glass jars. The usual suspects being the likes of red velvet, the rainbow cake and banoffee pie. So if you have a dinner party coming up and you'd like to give your guests a more customised and gourmet foodie experience, why not try a layered dessert in a mason jar? TheCottageMarket.com has a post called 50 Desserts in a Jar and it's 50 of the most sinfully delicious looking mason jar dessert recipes on the internet. There are easy recipes like trifles and no-bake cheesecakes or the more complex versions of apple pie, pudding and banana cake. The second meal you can make are mason jar meals. Whether you want to pack a meal for a picnic or for lunch at work, mason jars are the perfect size to exercise portion control and throw together a fuss-free meal. You can make all sorts, from microwave sausage and eggs, to overnight oats, to salads and even lasagna. You can use the mason jar to serve drinks. Again, if you're into the cafe culture scene, chances are you've enjoyed your glass of iced coffee or orange juice from a mason jar at one point or another. But you can easily enjoy this experience at home, and you'll score top marks for presentation if you serve your tetare in a mason jar at your next party. And they also happen to be the perfect size to use as a cocktail mixer, so there you go. The other major use for mason jars is of course for storage. Mason jars are storage for sugar, spices, cereal, candy, chocolate, biscuits, nuts, tea, coffee, Milo, Nescafe, matches, cupcake liners, cutlery, coins, cotton balls, cotton pads, cotton bud, toothbrush, makeup brushes, stationery, kitty toys, haberdashery. 
The list is literally endless. And why? Because everything just looks better when it comes from a mason jar. For decorative purposes, the rustic appeal of the mason jar makes it a lovely piece to use as a decorative item. Plonk some water, lemon slices, twigs of rosemary and thyme into a mason jar along with a tea candle and you've got yourself a very nice scented candle. Use them to arrange small bouquets of fresh flowers to keep in your bathroom or as scented pieces on a tablescape. You can decorate the jars for a fresh twist. Mix up some acrylic paint and a few shades of your favourite colour and use them to coat the inside of your mason jar. Put a good amount directly in the bottom of the jar, then turn it upside down and twirl it slowly until the paint evenly coats the entire inner part of the jar. Leave the jars upside down on a thick cardboard paper to let the excess paint drip down. Change the position of the jar every 15 minutes or so to let the excess paint run out. Then leave them drying upright for a few hours before filling them in with your fresh cut flowers. Now acrylic paint is water-based, so if you paint the inside of your jars, you won't be able to fill them with water without the paint washing away. So I'd advise using a cup that fits inside the jar to hold the water. A fun art project with the kids could be to make glitter snow globes. Just glue those little fun-sized animals or toy figurines on the lid, and then fill the jar with water and glitter. When you turn the jar upside down, it becomes an instant snow globe. You can also use mason jars as a photo frame. The jar can be upright or upside down without a lid. Just slot your pictures and you have an instant photo holder. It looks especially nice when there are jars of pictures in varying shapes and sizes. You could also put the picture in a mason jar filled with olive or vegetable oil. Boom! Instant sepia filter. No need for Instagram. Although it is a complete waste of good olive oil. Or why not combine some of the above? Slot a picture in with some small knickknacks or snacks, add a personalised note, some dried flowers, decorate the outside with some washi tape or ribbon, and ta-da! You have yourself a lovely custom-created gift. So whether you love them, hate them, or never knew about them, there is no denying the many ways in which mason jars can come in handy. If anything, it's a good reminder of what we can do to recycle and repurpose the glassware that we have. The glassware that we would otherwise throw or leave unused at home. Let us know what you think. If you have any suggestions for hacks, tweet us at BFM Radio. I'm Tasha Fusil and you've just been live hacked. Hiya! And just before we go, we thought we'd leave you with some witty comebacks that you could stash away because you never know when you might cross paths with a douchebag. The intellectual comeback. I bet your brain feels as good as new seeing as you've never used it. Mm, <laughs> the perma stink face comeback. I was gonna give you a nasty look, but I see you already have one. <laughs> the ex comeback. When your ex says, You never find anyone like me. Reply with, uh, That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> The sassy comeback. Bitch, I don't want your boyfriend. Nobody wants your boyfriend. That's why he's with you. (laughs) (laughs) The sexy pun comeback. I was going to tell you a joke about my dick, but it's too long. And the comeback is... Oh, lol. I would tell you a joke about my vajayjay, but you'll never get it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get it. (laughs) 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 The good parenting comeback. Next time the bully asks you for lunch money, tell him you left it on his mother's dresser.
We've come to the end of another episode of A Sunday Kind of Love with me, Maya Tan, Tasha Fusil, and our resident couch potato, Edwin Suman. Before we go, this is Baby Come Back by Player. You've been listening to A Sunday Kind of Love. Have a smashing Sunday. I'm Maya Tan on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.